Where It All Started, a novel written by J. Allison Baird and illustrated by S.M. Shiflett, read by J. Allison Baird. Special thanks from J. Allison Baird to Amor Batani, Rosie Garland, Molena Lee Williams Haas, Campbell X, Dr. J, Kate Bornstein, Suzanne Austin, and of course my dear wife. Prologue, London 2003, Kitty. Writing was exhausting. You wouldn't have known it by looking at the blank Word 98 document staring back defiantly with its incessant blinking cursor. I just wanted to write perfect, erudite, insightful prose. That wasn't so much to ask for, was it? The keyboard compressed under the weight of my face as I slumped forward onto it, no doubt causing a snake of symbols to rattle across the screen. My decline may have been a touch dramatic, but I'd very much reached my capacity for care. So, with a pencil in my left hand, and without looking, I scrawled the word fuck in large letters onto the notepad lying next to my head. There was something uniquely soul-destroying about living, sleeping, and doing all of my work in the same tiny room. My self-imposed cell was a post-apocalypse of clothes, tea mugs, and books scattered across every surface, save the radiator, which was reserved for our cat, Fishy. I liked to think my room messy rather than filthy, given it didn't reek just then. My room resided in a flat, which was itself situated within a nondescript block near Borough Market. I shared it with my friends, each of whom, like myself, was a different flavour of postgraduate. We were all also queer. We'd found each other during our late teens and early twenties through mutual friends, attending the same university, or by way of late-night assignations. At some point, our little chosen family came to the conclusion that living together would mean we didn't have to deal with homophobic bullshit at home, as well as everywhere else. Over time, we'd become quite close. I suppose that's how they noticed my sullen demeanour of late. Collectively and individually, they'd said I needed to take time off, that with perspective I might actually be able to write, but it was impossible to pull myself away. I needed to sit there until I forced out the chapter onto the page in irrefutable language and logic. Out of the three of them, Jane was the only one who could actually draw my attention away from my work. I had a crush on her when we first met, but eventually we fell into a comfortable friendship. She was seeing Tara, who lived with us too. Tara made Jane happy, and seeing Jane happy, well, that made me happy too. Oh dear, Jane leaned dramatically against my bedroom door, which she'd just opened without knocking. Looks like my flatmate has discorporated. She wore a sardonic grin, as well as a breathtaking, strapless red dress that hugged her chest and waist until it flared around her mid-thigh. Her golden going-out makeup sparkled on her light brown complexion, and her cropped shiny black hair fell across one side of her heart-shaped face. I was struck by the vision, but also the ceiling light refracting off her black vinyl boots. The cause of death is no doubt linked to her tragic lack of a social life, she continued in the serious tone of the medical doctor she was studying to be. Poor thing, she sighed, only survived by her long-suffering opus. Sorry, Dr. Watson. I grumbled, having shifted my head to rest on my forearms rather than the keyboard. I think you'll find the killer was the long-suffering opus all along. I wafted the profaned notepad. The clue was the supposed suicide note. I clearly need to save you from your murderous thesis, Jane concluded, so you're now officially coming out with me and Tara. 
As she made her decree, Jane wrapped a thick leather collar around her neck as casually as she might have put on a gold necklace. Buckled in place, I could see it featured a large steel ring dangling from the front of it. That's a new look for you. Do you like it? She cocked her hips cheekily. We got the collar and boots at a garden sale down the street, and a whole bunch of other leather stuff too. You got all that from a garden sale? Yeah, Mrs. Jenkins. Mrs. Jenkins was selling all that. I considered in my prejudice I may have misjudged the cheerful but otherwise conservative-seeming grandmother. Fuck yeah, Jane grinned. She's clearly amazing, and I will grill her about all that over tea sometime very soon. We got two collars, these boots, and a leash. Jane counted out their haul on her fingers. I didn't know you were into BDSM, I tried to ask casually, still reeling. Oh, I'm not, Jane answered easily before musing. Or maybe I'm not. She shook her head absent-mindedly. But Tara and I like getting dressed up, and I'm such an exhibitionist, so... She paused and turned to me. We're going out, and so are you. Well, I'd love to, but... No arguments, Jane interrupted. I'm serious, Kitty. You've got to get out of this room. Doctor's orders. You're beginning to pickle. I tried to formulate a graceful decline, but it was impossible under such scrutiny. And it wasn't like I was getting a damn thing written. Where are we going? I gave in. Jane squeed. Was that a word? That sound of joy and excitement, which really couldn't be described as anything other than an audible squee. Great! Jane clapped in delight and skipped to my closet. We're going to a place called Loose Lips. She opened the door and began to sift through clothes. It's a kinky club for women and queer people Tara found on Usenet. Jane tested the fabric of a pair of trousers. God, Kitty, she exasperated, shoving her way through the piles. Don't you have anything that isn't a t-shirt, jeans, or tracksuit bottoms? I shrugged. I was still trying to process we were going to a BDSM club. My imagination ran rampant. Tara said there's a dress code. Jane navigated the tangle of my wardrobe. It's nothing too serious, but they don't want people walking in off the street in regular clothes, so it has to be kinky or at least all black. Jane pulled out my one and only dress. It was indeed black, somewhat slinky and low-cut. I'd reluctantly bought it years prior for a graduation and only broke it out for events that absolutely required me to look proper. Oh no, I insisted. I don't think... It's perfect, Jane ignored me. You have a pair of courts that go with this, and you can wear that other collar we bought today. I tried to stammer a protest, but Jane was already rummaging loudly in the bottom of my closet for my one pair of lady shoes. I sighed, resigning to my fate. Maybe it wouldn't be so bad to go out with Jane, I thought. It had been a long time since I'd gone anywhere, with her or anyone else for that matter. Having uncovered the heels, Jane skipped to the bedroom door and called out to Tara to bring the other collar, some black eyeliner and dark lipstick. Now wait, I rallied. I don't wear makeup. Jane lay out the dress on the bed, turned to me and pouted. Shit. Her jutting lip and creased brow were my kryptonite. I know, Kitty, she said softly. But you don't do a lot of things, like take breaks, go outside, or have fun. She stepped closer. If you don't want to wear the dress, makeup, or shoes, that's okay. She stopped in front of me. But I think it might be fun if you tried. Kitty, please, she asked sincerely. I think you'll like it, and I really want to spend some time with you. Fuck, I crumbled. She squeed again and bounded to the bedroom door. Bring the eyeshadow and blush, too. 
Jane turned back to me and grinned even broader. I glowered, which made her smirk, and I couldn't help laugh, easing some of the tension in my shoulders. Tara joined us with the requested makeup and collar. She was wearing a baggy black t-shirt and black jeans, complemented by a thick black belt with a simple bronze buckle, all sharply contrasting her pale pink countenance. It was odd to see her out of her usual uniform of smartly ironed shirt, tucked into pressed trousers with a pair of Oxfords. Her hair looked recently razored, probably with the clippers she'd bought after yet another hairdresser refused to cut it as short as she liked it. Tara was an engineering postgrad, rarely not seen penciling detailed technical charts. I wondered if that was why she was so deft with the makeup she liberally applied to my face. Checking the results in the mirror, it wasn't nearly as garish as I imagined it was whilst it was being slathered on. I might have even liked it, if it was on someone else. Jane brushed, teased, and sprayed the half of my hair that wasn't shaved, and hung it forward in a semi-bob over my right eye, down to just above my collarbone. It irritated the hell out of me immediately. How do people walk around like this all day? How do they get anything done? Or achieve depth perception? Stop fidgeting! Jane slapped my hand as I batted the hair out of my face like a cat. And get changed! Whilst I did as instructed, Jane poofed up strands of her own side parting, so it similarly fell over one eye. I wondered if the look might be a trend I'd missed through my complete lack of following what was supposed to be fashion. I dragged on the knee-length dress, which slipped and clung in what felt like the right places at least. The collar Tara handed me was similar to the one Jane was wearing. I buckled the leather around my neck like a belt, tottered onto the heels, and stood in all my finery to the delight of Jane and amused approval of Tara. I tried not to grumble as Jane lent me a fancy overcoat, which offered protection against the chill autumn evening in a way the dress alone most certainly would not. The minicab Tara called dropped us off in Old Street, on a short road featuring a bustling pub and a sedate corner restaurant between two storefronts. In the car, Tara explained that the club was in the basement of a tattoo parlour, which sounded dubious at best. As we found the shop, with a colourful sign above the door that read Roadhouse in buzzing fluorescent letters, Tara recalled the instructions were to go in and continue to the back. It felt quite clandestine, and I wondered if it was all some elaborate trap to capture kinky queers. Tell me again about this place, I worried as Jane opened the jangling door. It's a BDSM club for women and queer people, so no straight men, I guess, Tara said vaguely. She seemed to notice my trepidation. But I read they were very newbie-friendly. I wasn't sure that helped as we walked into the dimly lit and apparently abandoned tattoo parlour. The small storefront featured a pair of dentist chairs facing each other at opposite ends of the room. Next to each sat an adjustable lamp and a small trolley of miscellaneous metal and small cups. A whiff of disinfectant permeated the space, and paintings of queers and suggestive poses lined the walls. A short counter opposite the chairs featured a piece of curled A4 taped to the side reading, Loose Lips This Way accompanied by an arrow crudely drawn to point in the direction of an empty doorway at the back of the shop. We're back here, a disembodied voice called from the doorway as if on cue. Jane led the way through it into a musty back room turned makeshift club entrance. A trestle table hosting a clutter of papers, a small tin box and assorted pens was set in front of a rolling clothes rail and two people dressed in all black. One of the pair beckoned us over enthusiastically. Hi there, she beamed. We walked up and were greeted again in a London accent I couldn't quite place. I'm Penny. Welcome to Loose Lips. I noted Penny's red hair was cut asymmetrically, but unlike mine and Jane's, the long part did not fall into her face, but was rather pinned across her forehead and curled behind one ear. 
She had blue eyes, light freckles across the bridge of her nose, and a bright pink gloss smile. As we got closer, I noticed her tight black vinyl dress was zipped down to form a deep V over her chest. I tried not to stare all too obviously at the cleft of her ample breast peeking between the teeth of the zip. Hi there, it's our first time, Jane enthused. Fresh meat, Penny cheered. I think I blushed. I couldn't remember the last time I'd actually blushed. Penny continued with a hearty, Then welcome, and shuffled papers in our direction. These are the rules. It's important you read through them, especially since you're new. And when you're done, just step over to Darling Alley here. We'll take your money and your coats. We each took a piece of photocopied paper entitled Loose Lips House Rules. And if you need anything at all, you can ask me. I'll be up here a while longer, and then I'll be roaming around the club with the other dungeon monitors. I looked up at her mention of dungeon monitors, who sounded both terrifying and intriguing at the same time. Turning my attention back to the page, I was glad to see the rules emphasised in no uncertain terms that consent was the number one and most critical maxim within the club. All the other directives elaborated on that point, such as you couldn't touch someone, engage them in play, or even pick up their toys without permission. There were instructions on how to clean communal equipment after use, as well as policy for how bodily fluids, including blood, should be dealt with. I worried what could possibly be happening in the basement we were about to descend into. And if you want to change, there's a room just there. Penny was pointing to a door behind us when I tuned back into the conversation. No, thank you. We changed before we got here, Jane said excitedly as she paid our entrance fees. As long as you think we meet the dress code. Jane had taken off her coat and was doing a little spin for Penny and Allie, who looked on appreciatively. Oh, you're just darling, Penny enthused before remembering Tara and I. I mean, you all are. Please feel free to hand your coats to Allie here, Penny recovered. And when you're done, just head on downstairs. I took off my coat and handed it to presumably Allie, who was a shorter butch woman with a shaved head wearing an arrangement of straps as a harness, a pair of leather shorts and little L's. Once I was free of the coat, I didn't know what to do with myself. I was quite exposed, standing in the odd antechamber, its imposing staircase leading down to a literal basement dungeon beneath. Chapter 1 Kitty Jane was visibly thrilled as I followed her and Tara down the stone stairs. I had no idea what to expect at the bottom of them. Perhaps a grand set of closet doors pushed aside to reveal a bountiful garden, bright and wild, full of kinky people doing whatever it is they do. Instead, we were met by a concrete-floored basement, which, in contrast to my flights of fancy, felt more like a small well-attended pub than a mystical land of iniquity. Groups of chattering people sat at tall tables lit by candles held in old bottles. The bar itself was a worn countertop, preceded by mismatched bar stools. The would-be pub seemed to make up only part of the larger room, the rest of which was obscured by an imposing dark red stage curtain spanning the width of the space hung from a long ceiling runner. Jane Tara and I might have looked like visitors from outer space, standing in the entrance gawking in stunned wonderment. Let's go in, Jane snapped Tara and I out of our trance. The smell of sweet drinks and stale air struck me as we stepped into the basement proper. A steady thrum of music played through speakers set on mounts bored into the brick walls. To my surprise, it wasn't as loud as in the few nightclubs I had experience of. Instead of the sound trying to knock my brains out with treble and bass, this might have been considered sedate, if it wasn't rage against the machine being played at low volume. Hi again, Penny startled me with her sudden appearance behind us. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to scare you, she apologised. It's quiet up there, and I figured you might like a tour since it's your first time. 
I would have much rather taken everything at my own pace, but Jane enthusiastically accepted for all of us with a hearty, Yes, very, please. Wonderful. Follow me. Penny grinned as she gestured forward with her whole hand in a way that I'd only ever seen tour guides do. This is our bar, which I guess is pretty obvious. Penny laughed at herself, and I was charmed by her gregariousness. I started to look at the space differently, and realised it was genuinely cosy. Many of the attendees were laughing, most dressed in what looked like comfortable, if revealing, black outfits. The bar doesn't serve alcohol, as we don't like to mix that with play here, Penny explained as we strolled between the tables. Is this your first time in a BDSM club? Yes, for all of us, Jane replied eagerly. We live together. I mean, Tara's my girlfriend and Kitty here's my bestie. A family outing. How lovely, Penny cheered. Just exploring today. Yes, but I've been curious for a while, Jane answered. I couldn't tell if she was lying. She'd never mentioned anything like that to me. Perhaps she was just trying to be polite. In that case, I hope you'll find something here that tickles your fancy. Penny winked as we came to the stage curtain. But there's no pressure to be involved. Just enjoy the place, watch, maybe meet some people. Penny drew the curtain aside and we were greeted by the rest of the long basement, dimly lit by stage lights hung from the ceiling and candles on different surfaces. Eclectic furniture was placed throughout at odd angles, some occupied by small clusters of people. The sweet smell of drinks from the bar morphed into the musky scent of sweat and the cheerful chatter was replaced by giggles, moans and slapping sounds. And this is our playroom, Penny said proudly. Feel free to watch what's happening, or please do try something out. Jane's eyes grew wide as Tara looked around with apparent interest. But if you're not sure how to use anything, just ask one of the dungeon monitors. Penny pointed out two people standing near the back of the room who seemed to be actively surveying the environment. The taller of the two wore a black leather waistcoat over a black sleeveless top and black leather trousers. The other was clad in a short leather dress, a similar waistcoat as her companion, but also a leather-peaked cap. She also held a long, fierce-looking riding crop. Distracted thoroughly by the pair, I missed half of what Penny said. And over there is a bench, which can be used for spanking, flogging, or other play. Penny pointed to a modified vaulting horse occupied by a naked woman bent over it, awaiting the attention of someone I couldn't yet see. Is that a sling? Jane gasped, pointing at a collection of leather straps and panels arranged into an evil-looking seat hung from the ceiling in a corner of the room. Oh yes, Penny gushed. You're welcome to use it, but like everything else, please be careful to clean it after with the supplies provided. Jane, her excitement clearly having reached fever pitch, turned to Tara meaningfully. Want to go for a swing, darling? Tara asked playfully. Jane nodded vigorously. All right then. Tara took Jane's hand and turned to Penny. Um, would you excuse us? But of course. Penny laughed and made a sweeping bow towards the sling. Tara led Jane away, who turned to look back with a guilty expression and mouthed, Sorry. Well, those two are eager, Penny smiled. As I tried to think of any kind of suitable response, Allie from the front desk wandered up behind us and drew Penny's attention. After a brief whispered conversation, Penny turned back to me. Sorry, I need to go back upstairs, but have a look around or have a drink in the bar, maybe. She seemed to realise I was feeling like a lost puppy in the room full of moaning people. Here. Penny took pity and handed me a slip of paper. This is a drink ticket for anything you like at the bar. Go grab something, come back, have a walk around. Thank you. I was genuinely grateful for the gesture. Penny smiled kindly and jogged back the way we came in. I quickly followed into the bar, hurt by Tara and Jane's abandonment and feeling even more self-conscious. This was their idea. 
They dragged me out, insisting it would be good for me and that we would all have a good time together. And now they were back there. Fucking. I had a proper sulk coming on as I looked around the bar again. It had become almost deserted. I imagined most of the patrons had moved into the playroom, as there were plenty of empty tables to choose from. Occupying one by myself felt even more pathetically lonely, so I opted to sit at the bar and use Penny's generously provided token. As I made my way, I noticed the bartender for the first time. She seemed at once out of place and yet entirely at home. It might have been the way she was dressed. Contrary to the almost universal black outfits of everyone else I'd seen, she wore an ivory blouse with a big matching bow tied at the collar. Over that, a dark red studded corset cinched her waist, steel buckles binding the closure at the front. It all complemented a very strict-looking black pencil skirt, which to my surprise did not seem to be made of leather. As I walked up to the bar, she raised her head from her work to look right back at me. I might have blushed again. Hi, I said meekly. Why, hello there, she replied with an easy smile. Her face reminded me of glamour photos from the forties and fifties, perhaps because of the way her soft, sandy features were given angles by expertly applied rouge, dark red lipstick, and subtle eyeliner. It might have also been the way she wore her hair in a semi-ornate sweeping arrangement, not quite as severe as hairstyles from those decades, but clearly inspired by the aesthetic. Her light brown hair accentuated large hazel eyes, and it was those eyes that disarmed me. They were piercing, looking right into me but also warm and inviting. I couldn't hold her gaze for fear I would thoroughly embarrass myself. Um, uh, I, I have this ticket. Oh, yes. She lowered her attention briefly from me to the paper in my hand. What's your pleasure? I was struck by the elegance of the question and smiled. What do you recommend? Hmm, you're new here, right? She gave me a sidelong glance. I tried not to feel like I was being measured for something. Is it that obvious? Well, she chuckled. Yes, but that's not a bad thing. She paused and gave me a sweet smile. Tell you what, hold on to the ticket for now and I'll start you off with a special something in honour of your first time with us. I had to admit I was charmed and managed to relax a little. All right then. I sat on the middle stool in front of the bar. All right then indeed, she mimicked and lifted a pair of bottles and a shaker from under the counter. A Virgin Mary it is for the newcomer whose name is... Virgin Mary? I was confused by her question, but then burst out laughing. Oh, no, no, not that, sorry. The Virgin Mary herself? She shook her head with a broad grin. What are the odds? Is the drink named after you or the other way around? She laughed at her own joke and continued to tease gently as she mixed. I feel like I've met a bona fide celebrity. I laughed more and Jane and Tara's slight faded. I'm Kitty, I said. I mean Catherine, but everyone calls me Kitty. Well, hello there, Kitty, she finished my glass. I'm Astrid. Astrid handed me the drink, poured the rest of the dark red liquid from the shaker into a second glass and stirred it with a stick of celery. Once done, she raised her drink and we clinked our glasses together and sipped. As I swallowed, I felt self-conscious again. So it's obvious I'm a complete noob? Astrid set her glass on the bar gently. I saw you and your friends come in with Penny, she nodded to the stairs. She was giving you her patented first-timer tour? She was, I admitted. She will do that, Astrid noted playfully. Well, I can give her rave reviews, top marks even. My friends were so enamoured with the place, they ran off to enjoy the sling immediately. Oh, Astrid's nose creased as she took another sip. 
They left you on your own? Astrid struck a nerve, but I tried to play it off. Yep, they were a blur as they flew off into the back of the darkest dungeon. I gestured with my arm like an airplane taking off. Astrid laughed, and my chest fluttered. Well, she said softly, I'm sorry to hear that. It can be a bit intimidating the first time. It's nice to come with friends. Yeah, I agreed. But I, I think I'm getting used to it, even if I'm still the nervous new kid who doesn't know anyone. Well, now you know me, she said sweetly. I tried to hide my awkwardness with another sip of the Virgin Mary, which was surprisingly zesty. It's very nice to make your acquaintance, Astrid, I attempted and cringed at myself. Astrid looked pleased, though. And you, fine kitty? She returned with a glint in her eye, and I felt that flutter again. Astrid took a long sip, holding my gaze. I couldn't think of anything to say, and it wasn't because I was feeling out of my depth anymore. No, it was probably because I had trouble looking Astrid in the eye, and looking at her anywhere else was also trouble. This really is delicious, I remarked of the drink, cursing again my shocking lack of suave. Thank you very much, Astrid smiled. I find they go down well. She laughed loudly at herself. I'm sorry, she coughed between titters. That sounded terrible, even for me. I swear, I'm usually better than that. Not much, mind you, but better. <laughs> That's more than all right. I was charmed again. I feel like a giant ball of weird and clearly have no way to maintain any semblance of cool. I must stick out like a sore thumb. Astrid gave me a sympathetic smile. You really don't, she encouraged. Actually, sorry, yes, you do, but only because it's a pretty small community and... Uh, what? Your collar. Astrid lifted a gentle finger and pointed to my neck. I raised my hand to my throat. Did I do it wrong? Astrid gave me the sweetest smile yet, a mixture of mirth but not cruelty, and a definite kindness. Usually the ring goes at the front. Astrid circled her finger in a spinning motion. Oh, I was genuinely embarrassed, like I'd misbehaved. Don't feel bad, Astrid laid a hand on mine. I felt a jolt at her touch and a catch in my throat. I glanced up. She was looking into me again. It's not something you'd know. She perhaps realized my overblown reaction to the faux pas. I could fix it for you, if you like. With that, even clueless me could figure out I was attracted to her. The second she offered to fix my collar, a prickly heat spread across my chest and up the back of my neck. Yes, I breathed. Please. Her soft expression shifted in a way I couldn't quite read as she told me to lean forward. I stood and lifted myself over the bar. Astrid raised her hands and tilted her head to one side. For a moment I thought she would kiss me, but she looked for the back of my neck instead and reached for the collar around it. I promise to be gentle. She whispered next to my ear as she slid the leather around with light fingers. My knees would have buckled if I hadn't been holding onto the bar. All done, Astrid pronounced in the same silken tone, caressing the seal ring laid to rest between my clavicles before leaning back. I exhaled shakily, hoping she hadn't noticed me do so. I sat and raised my hand to touch the ring. It felt cool and warm in different places. Thank you, I exhaled. Astrid smiled warmly, but that edge in her expression remained. You are welcome, Kitty, she said in a way that felt oddly formal but also loaded with meaning. I laughed nervously and went for my glass only to realize it was empty. We need a top-up, Astrid noted. She paused and smiled cheekily. So, 
Are we still a virgin? Or have we popped our cherry enough for something a bit more adventurous? I laughed, and so did she. They aren't getting any better, are they? Astrid remarked on her own joke. I don't know, I think that one was better. I smiled, and after a moment of mock consideration, added, I think I can say I've been deflowered. Astrid chuckled and turned to face the shelf behind her. I fiddled absent-mindedly with the ring at my throat as I watched her mix, my attention drawn to the corset lacing pulled tight to make a fold in her blouse down the centre of her back. My gaze lowered to her skirt, which held her backside and thighs taut, the material only flaring at the kick pleat. I realised too late that I was also flat out staring at her bottom. Astrid certainly noticed as she turned around to see me quickly look to the side, but was kind enough not to mention it. She did, however, raise an eyebrow, and I thought I detected a smirk as she finished making us both Shirley Temples, a glacé cherry placed on the top of mine. Nice, I remarked with the fruit as she handed me the glass. I thought so. Astrid raised her own drink before bringing it to her lips, again looking me right in the eyes as she did. For a moment we sipped in silence. Was it the way she looked at me that put me so off kilter? Was it possessive? I concluded it wasn't, at least not in the way I was used to from men in bars or on campus. That just made me feel icky. This, by contrast, was confident, calm and smouldering. Our unspoken moment was broken by two sweaty people stumbling up to the bar, clearly out of breath but grinning broadly. Astrid shifted expression and turned to them. What's your pleasure? A pang of jealousy struck me when she asked them that, and I felt immediately ridiculous for feeling that way. It must be something she says to everyone in the bar, I told myself as Astrid served them. So, Kitty. Astrid pulled up a stool behind the bar when she was done, and sat with one arm propped up on the counter, hand supporting her chin. Tell me what things you like to do for fun. My cheeks flushed yet again. Ah, uh, well, I don't know. I looked around guiltily. Not quite everything I say is perverted, Astrid admonished gently with that look of mirth again. I meant in general. And that was how we talked for the rest of the evening. In between Astrid serving drinks, we sat opposite each other asking and answering, getting to know you questions. I said I wasn't entirely sure what I'd like to do for fun because I spent way too much time working on my history postdoc. She professed a general lack of knowledge of the subject, but told me of her love of hiking and nature. We talked about what it was like to live in the city and be gay, sharing all too usual stories of the bullshit of everyday life and how nice it was to have a place where we could just be ourselves. We talked right up until someone unseen turned the house lights on, a universal sign that the night was over and everyone had to go home. I was surprised when the bar suddenly brightened, having not noticed the hour nor the crowd thin. I guess it's time to shut up shop, Astrid sighed. I was disappointed. I didn't want our time to end. Astrid started to clear glasses and wipe down the bar. Do you want a hand? I found myself asking. Astrid looked up surprised, but then happily answered, If you like. Where do you want me? Astrid paused. Now, how do you expect me to answer that? I blushed bright red yet again, and Astrid laughed, but not unkindly. How about you come behind the bar and help me stack the clean glasses? Sure, I answered, relieved. Astrid handed me a soft cloth and showed me where everything went. As I stacked, I watched a few stragglers leave the playroom, and Penny entered the bar to tidy the tables. It occurred that I hadn't seen Jane nor Tara. Um... Do you know where my friends went? I asked Astrid as she finished her wipe-down. No, I don't, Astrid considered before calling out. Penny, do you know where Kitty's friends went? 
Penny looked up from placing chairs on tables. Who's Kitty? Astrid motioned to me with her towel. I gave a little wave. Oh, yeah, Penny grinned. The new girl. She made it sound like I'd already joined the sorority. Yeah, they left a while ago. Oh, uh, but they did tell me to tell their friend Kitty, is it? I nodded. Yeah, Penny confirmed. To tell her, you that is, that they were heading home. That they didn't want to interrupt because you looked like you were having such a good time. I didn't know what to say to that, but thankfully Penny kept talking. I'm really glad you enjoyed yourself. And your friends, too, she said cheerfully, oblivious to what had made my night so pleasant. We collectively continued to tidy and Penny regaled Astrid with an intrigue between someone called Jen and someone else called Sam. It went on all night long, Penny elaborated as she swept the floor. Jen was taking Ashley to task on her favourite block, but I swear every time I walked into that dungeon, little Miss Likestacane was casting the smoochy eyes at Sam across the room. Penny pursed smoochy lips to illustrate her point, which made Astrid chuckle. Anyway, don't be surprised if Jen has Sam all tied up and tortured next week. Penny looked to the ceiling dramatically. Lucky Sam. We finished up shortly after, and Astrid walked with me up to the makeshift cloakroom. Penny joined us and offered me my coat from the rail. If you don't mind waiting, I can get changed and we can walk out together, Astrid motioned to the changing room. Sure, my heart skipped. Penny slipped downstairs as I watched Astrid collect a bag from behind the trestle table and walk into the changing room. I tried to distract myself from the careening butterflies in my stomach by looking into the silhouette of the tattoo parlour. I mused how odd it was to be in the shop at night. I'd only been in them during the daytime, and it occurred that I simply hadn't considered them after hours. Um, Kitty, Astrid startled me. I'd missed her coming out of the changing room and couldn't hide my reaction. She'd changed into a crisp white shirt, black suit jacket, and maybe a different pencil skirt to the one she'd been wearing in the bar, her hair slightly mussed but still pinned. She was mesmerizing in her office attire. Kitty? Astrid cocked her head to one side quizzically. I might have opened my mouth, but didn't manage to say anything. Maybe it was that the evening had finally overwhelmed me, or I was just stunned into silence by my raging libido. Astrid paused and tilted her head to appraise me from another angle. Oh, for fuck's sake, she muttered and was kissing me before I knew what had happened. Astrid. I undressed quickly in our little changing area, which was actually the shop's dirty room a name for the room's function as a place where tattoo equipment was to be cleaned rather than something fabulously kinky. That wasn't to say it hadn't lived up to its name now and then, proving popular with its sink and supply of surgical gloves. I wasn't thinking about any of that, as I took off one white blouse and started to button up a fresh one. Rather, I was wondering what the actual fuck I was going to do with Kitty now that we were about to walk out of the shop together. Why had I asked her to stay? I groaned mentally. What was I thinking? I wasn't thinking, that's what. It had just felt so damn good to flirt with her all night. But I hadn't thought any further ahead. I hadn't wanted to. I just wanted to enjoy the feeling, the build intention, the desire, not thinking any further ahead. Fuck, 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 I muttered out loud as I wriggled into my skirt. I tried to refocus by considering whether it was silly to bring two very similar but subtly different outfits for an evening. Then again, it only felt proper to change out of work clothes. I shrugged on the jacket and zipped up the duffel bag, which was now full of a neatly folded blouse, corset and skirt, 
as well as my collection of unused implements, none of which had seen any kind of action in close to two years. I didn't want to think why just then. But of course, even just a flash of a consideration of my ex was enough to make me palm-sweatingly terrified about the current kitty situation. I paused at the door of the dirty room, mind spiralling. This is a really bad idea, I thought. Even if it was just vanilla, I wasn't ready for this. No, I can't. I won't. My hand was shaking on the door handle, either from fear or lust or both. Committed to calling it off as gently as possible, I shook my head and walked out. Um, Kitty. I was stopped short when Kitty whirled around. I couldn't say what it was that was even more irresistible about her startle. The half of her hair that wasn't shaved had flipped when she swiveled, first showing and then hiding one of her wide brown eyes. Her lips were parted, as if she had just sucked in her breath, or was about to say something. Kitty? I asked, stunned by the sight. She didn't answer. Her breath was heavy as she stood like a deer in headlights, one hand holding her coat by her side, the other raised delicately to her collar ring. She seemed so... unguarded. Oh, for fuck's sake. I was on her in two steps, cupping her face and kissing her deeply. She melted as I drew her in, which just made me lean in further as her hungry tongue met my own. She tasted sweet from the drinks I'd been serving her all night, and I had to fight to withdraw. But I didn't release her as I did, nor step back whilst I tried to re-establish some semblance of control. Her breath was short, her eyes narrowed, and her pupils small. I wanted to throw her onto the trestle table, and I might have, if not for some distant, sensible part of my brain, warning that it would almost certainly snap under even the slightest shock of weight. A rumble of desire from deep inside escaped me. Um, what shall we do now? I tried to clear my throat. Do you? Kitty swallowed. Want to come back to mine? The hairs on the back of my neck rose. Um, I stalled, my brain trying to function through stomach-churning anxiety and wanting. Yes, I answered despite myself. I would like that very much, Kitty. I smiled stiffly as my hands still holding her trembled. Kitty's cheeks flushed again in the way they'd been doing so adorably all evening. I bit my lip, barely holding back from ravishing her where she stood. That's great, she breathed. I released one of her cheeks and stroked the other, trying to ease my pounding chest. Then it's decided, I said. And where are we going? I'll, uh, I'll order us a minicab. I just need a phone. My mobile's dead, I'm afraid. I let go of Kitty to peer into the shop, but Rash has a phone and yellow pages on the counter. Great! Kitty smiled awkwardly, looked confused for a moment, then nodded and half-skipped into the shop, her dress hem bouncing up to flash her pale thighs. My breath heavy, I looked down to see Kitty had dropped her coat. I picked it up, all other coherent thought having evaporated. They can send someone right away, Kitty returned, smiling sheepishly. She reached for her coat but I held it out for her instead. Oh, thank you. Kitty giggled shyly and turned her back to me. I thought I saw her cheeks flush a little yet again as she did. Shit, I need to keep myself in check, I thought as Kitty slid into the sleeves. She's not my girl. Ignoring myself, I maneuvered her around to face me and started to button her up. 
It was only when I was halfway done that I thought Kitty might consider this a really fucking weird thing for me to do. I cursed myself, but when I was finished, I looked up to see Kitty's lips parted and her eyelids heavy. All wrapped up? I muttered, sweat rolling down the back of my neck. Yes, she agreed breathlessly. I went to devour her lips again, but was brought up short by the blare of a car horn outside the shop door. Oh, <laughs> Kitty giggled. Um, uh, that's us, I think. Yes, I said, my mouth dry. The ride back to Kitty's was mercifully short. Nonetheless, I vibrated on the lumpy back seat next to her, unsure again about the whole idea. It had been a long time since I'd done anything like this. Actually, I never did this. I never moved so quickly after meeting someone. I took my time to see if we meshed, to see if they were all right, to make sure I would be all right. My forehead creased. I turned to look at Kitty, who was picking at the hem of her dress, staring nervously ahead. A wave of empathy cut through my anxiety. Is she worried about the driver hassling us? I reached over to cover her fidgeting hands. She stilled her picking and looked at me with that unguarded expression again, which just made me want to jump her right there. Her eyes grew wide, as if she could hear what I was thinking. We pulled to a stop and Kitty paid the driver. We just about managed to get out of the minicab before we were on top of each other again, stumbling into her building. Shh, she pleaded as we almost ploughed through her front door. We took off our coats quickly in the darkened hallway and Kitty navigated us into the kitchen. She tried to step quietly, but I found it hard not to click my heels on the linoleum. The kitchen itself was dimly lit by the hum of the yellow street light outside. I couldn't see much beyond a large wooden dining table with matching chairs in the middle of the room, surrounded by kitchen countertops hugging the walls along with a modern-looking stove and fridge freezer. I did notice that most of the surfaces were strewn with dishes and cups, probably used, given the lingering odour of what I thought might have been toast. Once across the kitchen, Kitty opened a door and stepped aside from me. I walked into a small bedroom that screamed the writer's block she had mentioned in the club. Kitty squeezed past and swept a tangle of trousers and papers off the bed and onto the floor. Sorry about this, she apologised with an embarrassed smile. I wasn't expecting. Don't worry about... I stopped speaking when she sat on the now-cleared end of the bed, her hands stuck firmly between her knees. She looked suddenly so shy, her head lowered to one side. Something in me stirred. I sat carefully next to her and tried to catch her eyes. She darted a look at me and then away again, blushing and smiling nervously. I reached an arm around her waist, worried I would startle her. Instead, she leaned into my touch and laid her head on my shoulder. I caught the earthy scent of her hair as she nestled into the curve of my neck. The impulse to hurl her onto her back was overwhelming, but Kitty's apparent delicacy stayed me. I like the smell of your hair, I swallowed. I like the smell of your neck, Kitty whispered, her breath warm against my skin. Jesus, fuck. I'd absolutely no idea what to do with her. I needed to reassert something. I withdrew my arm, reached between her knees and gently picked up the closest of her hands. I raised it and ran an index finger along her palm, which elicited a low murmur. Oh, Miss Kitty, you do have long fingers. I winced at my choice of words, worried I sounded ridiculous, but Kitty lifted her face, her cheeks flush and her expression wanting. More sure-footed, I brought her hand up to lightly kiss her fingertips. Kitty cast her eyes down with a shyness that made me ache. Lowering her hand and releasing her wrist, 
I leaned over to take off my shoes and glide as gracefully off the bed as my skirt would allow. Once kneeling on the floor, I slid my hands over the front of her thighs, guiding them apart so I could shuffle between them. Kitty's gaze lowered further. I craned my head to catch her eyes. Why is it so hard to look at me? I surprised myself with how firm I sounded. I... I don't know. Kitty looked at me and then quickly away again. I mean, I'm usually so in my head. I guess I don't think... Now really isn't the time for thinking, but more for feeling and connecting, I suggested, looking at her timidly turned away. I'd like to try that with you, if you'd like to try that too. I'd like that, Kitty answered with a small voice, daring a glance at me. I'm sorry about this. I want it. I want you. I hope you can be patient with me. She held my gaze with a heart-melting little smile. Of course. I caressed the side of her legs. We can take all the time you need. I lifted my hands and placed them on her waist, feeling her deep breath in my grip. I raised up so we were face to face, her eyes focused on my mouth. Taking that as my cue, I leaned forward so our lips were an inch apart. May I kiss you? I whispered. Kitty launched forward, kissing me hard, her arms wrapping around my neck. Shocked, I brought my hands up to cup her cheeks, trying to guide her eagerness. Kitty slowed and started to follow my lead again. I took my hands from her cheeks and wrapped my arms around her waist to pull tighter between her legs, pressing her chests together. I held her like that, kissing deeply, feeling her needs swell and holding the moment. The thrill of setting the pace struck me, but the thought I should run a mile also threatened. Kitty shifted and groaned into my mouth, her wordless begging obliterating my immediate worry. I kissed her with abandon, holding her tighter still until we finally separated, panting and light-headed. I leaned back to look into Kitty's blissed expression. Unable to hold back any more, I pushed her back onto the bed, falling with her to land with my hips between her legs. Kitty gasped, but then moaned, arching into me. I pulled her head to the side with a handful of her hair and fell onto her neck. Kitty ground her hips into me, her groans vibrating through my tongue on her throat. I let go of her hair lifted her knees and shifted my hips directly onto Kitty's crotch. She pushed up even harder to meet me. Completely lost in her, I pulled the hem of Kitty's dress up her chest until it wriggled around her shoulders and finally came free over her head. I looked down on her, frozen, stunned. She looked up at me, open and unabashed, until she seemed to realize her exposure and turned her head away again. I took her chin and turned her back to face me. You are so beautiful, I said firmly. There's no need to look away from me. Kitty blushed red, but didn't resist my hold on her. Rather, she looked directly back at me. I let go and lowered my hand to hover near her underwear. Is it okay if I touch you, Kitty? She nodded, but averted her eyes again. Her consent seemed genuine, but towering above her, I needed more. I have to hear it, Kitty, I explained as gently as I could. Tell me that it's okay to touch you. I want you to touch me, Kitty answered timidly, still looking down, before adding softly. Please. Now, I said with a low rumble in my chest. Say it while looking at me. I think I meant the instruction kindly. I wanted Kitty to feel powerful in her desire, but there was also a desire of my own. Kitty looked directly at me. I want you to touch me. That's better, 
I whispered. I braced myself with one hand on the bed and placed the other gently on the front of Kitty's underwear. I moved my fingers around the smooth cloth to Kitty's slick skin beneath. She moaned and closed her eyes as I found my way to her wet, outer lips. I moved them aside with one finger and slipped another between them easily. Kitty bit her lip and shuddered. This feels good. I meant her, but also myself. Kitty groaned her agreement. I brushed her swollen clit with my thumb, and she jerked forward into my hand, gasping. I lifted her thigh with my free arm to spread her legs further. I like to see what I'm doing. I exhaled, and Kitty pushed harder against my hand. I held her gaze as I moved my fingers slowly inside her. Kitty dropped her head back and matched my movements, urging me to speed up with her hips. Good girl, I let slip. Kitty's moans became louder as I pinched and pressed through her thrusting. She arched her back as I slipped a third finger in, her groans becoming guttural, her grinding more desperate, until she let out a piercing cry and pulled her knees tight around my waist. I held myself up as best I could through her bucking until it slowly subsided. As her breath calmed, I carefully withdrew my fingers and lay on top of her. Kitty wrapped her arms and legs around me and panted in my ear. You are so beautiful. I kissed her neck again and again. Thank God, it's wonderful to make you come. She muttered something unintelligible as I continued to shower her neck with kisses. Finally dragging myself upright, I struggled out of my soaked clothes and we slumped naked and tangled together. Did you call me a good girl? Kitty mumbled, her eyes still closed. Y yes I admitted, mortified I had. Fuck, what had I been thinking? She was vanilla. This was vanilla. I can't say things like that to her. Because you came like a very good girl. I winced at my dire attempt to cover. Lying silently, Kitty didn't seem to think my explanation unusual, or perhaps she was still completely out of her mind. I lay back further, exhaustion weighing heavily on my chest. But how about you? Kitty whispered. Hmm? I murmured. Oh, uh, don't worry, I had plenty of fun. Kitty nodded weakly and curled into the crook of my arm with a tired sigh. We lay like that, in the haze of our sex as we drifted off. In the moments just before I passed out, anxiety stabbed at me, and I held Kitty closer still. Where It All Started is written by J. Ellison Baird and illustrated by S.M. Shiflett. You can read this chapter at whereitallstartednovel.com and see the illustrations there. A new chapter is released every week on the website and through the podcast.